We're in our series on the Ten Commandments. A fascinating series. You know, for the longest time, I have uh, wanted to uh, do this series. I mean, way back when I was little, this has been a, a, a desire of mine. But the one thing that has kept me quite often from doing this is commandment number four. We come to that this morning. Commandment four. This has split denominations. No doubt, if we were to survey the congregation this morning, we would find a handful of different responses. And so uh, I should have handed this off to Ben or somebody because I'm going to ruffle some feathers. And that's probably the last thing I need to do. However, uh, we want to, our desire is, I hope yours is, uh, to, to know what God's word says and how we might live this out. As we, we looked several weeks ago, we realized that these were not rules that God gave us in order to attain a relationship with him. These are rules that he's given to his children, who are already his children, in order to maintain relationship with him. And so today we come to number four. And so if you have your Bibles, let's look at Exodus chapter 20. We've mentioned that God, that the ten are located in their entirety in two different places. Exodus 20, as well as Deuteronomy 5. We're going to check out both passages even this morning. I think this is so interesting. Now, this is the longest of, of the, the commands and the most controversial of them let's verse eight it says remember the sabbath day by keeping it holy there's the command now let's go into the explanation six days you shall labor and do all your work but the seventh day is a sabbath to the lord your god on it you shall not do any work neither you nor your son or daughter nor your manservant or maidservant nor your animals nor the aliens within your gates for in six days the lord made the heavens and the earth the sea and all that is in them But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, because he rested on the seventh day, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. How are we as believers to keep this? It's interesting from Genesis through Revelation. The Sabbath day is always Saturday. Always. It's always the last day of the week. And the reason is because, like I just mentioned, because that's the day that God ceased from his work. And so, again, we ask ourselves, well, then how are we, what are we doing here on Sunday? How are we supposed to apply this? How are we as, as New Testament church supposed to, supposed to go through this? Now, there are different ways you can interpret this uh, command. Uh, some there are Christian denominations who say, no, we're supposed to keep the Sabbath Saturday. Others say, no, Sunday is the Christian Sabbath today, and others hold different perspectives. I went to a school in the South at one point that held to the idea that that Sunday was the Christian Sabbath. Sunday was to the church what Saturday was to the Jewish nation. And so their, their rule was that you couldn't do any study on Sunday. No book reading. No, nothing with your, this was typewriter error, nothing, no typing, no, no study. The, the library was locked up. You couldn't also do any, any recreation. There was no tennis. There was no golf. You couldn't throw a frisbee. You couldn't do hardly anything. And so on our floor, what we did, Saturday night, about 9 o'clock, it was quiet on the floor because everybody is in their room. We had our typewriters plugged in, you know, and we were working hard. And somebody would, be, would keep us abreast of the time, you know. We got an hour left. It's like, ah, and we're getting everything ready. We're getting it, take, trying to take care of it. And sure enough, around midnight, someone would count it down. Five, four, three, you're going with everything you've got. One, it's Sunday. And you go, ah, 
unplug the typewriter and the doors would all open and the guys would come into the hall and start horsing around and junk food would be going on and we would be talking about girls and all the things that you do in college. Uh, and we'd do that for a couple hours and we'd go to bed and we'd get up in the morning and go to church and we'd come back from church and we'd take a nap the rest of the day because there wasn't too much else we could do. And then on the floor around 1130, the hall was filled with guys and we were talking and laughing and talking about girls and junk food and horsing around. And but a lot of 1150, everyone started going back to their rooms and plug the typewriter back in, you know, and we're getting where we are getting. We got the book set. We're right, waiting for the person to start counting down. And sure enough, five, four, three, two, one. It's Monday. And we're like, yeah, okay. And we were and we were sure that we had kept the Sabbath, at least the way the school had defined it. And the well, question for us is, had we kept the Sabbath? At least the way God defines it. I mean, we have to keep in mind that this is not uh, an option. These are not the ten suggestions, right? These are the ten commandments. So how are we supposed to apply this? How are we supposed to bring this into our heart, into our daily life? Let's make just a couple observations as we start in this this, uh, this morning. And really, I would ask you to just be... Uh, open-minded, generous, gracious, wrestle with this thing. And if we end up in different places, that's okay. This is not a salvific issue. Um, number eight, uh, in verse eight, it says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Again, that's the command. few observations. Remember, this is like remembering your anniversary, guys. Okay, if, the, if your wife grabs you the next day and says, you didn't remember my anniversary, you didn't remember our anniversary. You can't say, oh yeah, no, I did, I did. She says, well, no, no, no flowers. And no dinner, and, 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 and no card, no I love yous. Well, that's that's not, but consciously I remembered it. I remembered it all day. Yeah, it's our anniversary. When she says remember our anniversary, she's saying, what did you do about it? And in scripture, remember is always a, 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 an active, not a, not a passive thing. It's not a, 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 a cognizant issue. It's it's action. So remember. The Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Holy means different than the rest. It's set apart. And Sabbath means, the word just means to cease, desist. It comes from Genesis 2 because God, as it's going to tell us, stopped his work on the seventh day. That's why. That's all, that's all that it, it means. Now, if you notice, and it's interesting as you look at the passage, isn't it? What does it tell you you cannot do? Well, it says Work. Easy enough, right? Or is it? What is work? How do you know when you cross on? Is yard work work? Or is work only work when you're getting paid for it? And is work only work if you're getting paid a lot for it? And what, what is work? Um, I think that God did not make a mistake with his ambiguity here. I don't think later on God would say, Oh, I knew I should have been more specific. Those blockheads, they can't understand. I should have been more clear. Would God say this? No, God is very precise. He knew exactly what he wanted to communicate, and he communicated it. There's some intentional ambiguity there. But it wasn't good enough for the rabbis. What the rabbis did with this is the rabbis came up with, by Jesus' time, 39 different categories of work because they didn't want anyone breaking the sabbath so they had 39 different categories and underneath each category were lists and lists of things you could not do on the sabbath that qualified as work according to the rabbis here's some of them you could not tie a knot on the sabbath unless you could tie it with only one hand if you use two hands that's work the rabbi said 
You could, you could rearrange your pillow with your head, but you could not use your hands to fluff it up. That's work. You could not, I, we don't even want to try to picture that. You could not write more than two letters at a time. You were not permitted to trim your toenails. You could not set a broken bone. You could render no medical attention unless it was a life-saving issue. Now, this was done during, between the end of Malachi and the beginning of Matthew. It's when the rabbis really came up with this stuff. So keep in mind, they had just said, to keep the Sabbath, you could not render any medical attention unless it was saving a life. Jesus comes along, and what does he do on the Sabbath? He heals people. And so you can imagine, ah, what are you doing? You're breaking the Sabbath. Now, was Jesus breaking the Sabbath? Or was he breaking the rabbi's uh, interpretation of the Sabbath? You know, know, when you look at this text, you ask yourself, well, what could you do on the Sabbath? Okay, I know what you can't do, work, whatever that means. But what could you do? And I'm guessing if we surveyed it here, we would say most, you know, number one answer would be you're supposed to worship on the Sabbath. But that's not what it says here. And you know what? That's not what it says anywhere else in here. Uh, There's a couple of inferences that perhaps on occasion the Israelites got together on the Sabbath for corporate worship. But definitely nothing you can be dogmatic about. Matter of fact, it wasn't until between Malachi and Matthew that the rabbis, the guys who came up with all these rules, formalized... That, that the Sabbath is when you would go to the synagogue and corporately worship. But until that point, pure Old Testament, it just wasn't there. Matter of fact, scholars aren't sure what they did on the Sabbath because God never told them. So that's a question for us. What can we do on the Sabbath? That's an interesting question. And a question that we come up to as we get into this a little bit is, are we supposed to keep As it says here, the seventh day, Saturday, as the Sabbath. It's what it says here. And long and short of it would be, I don't believe so. And let me tell you why I I think Scripture is there. First of all, all of the other nine commandments are reiterated in the New Testament. All of them. This one's not. Jesus had no problem making a lot of commands. Jesus spoke in imperatives all the time. He, told, he commanded people not to, not to lust, not to commit adultery, and to forgive one another, and to not let money run you, and to not be prideful, and to love the Lord your God with all your heart. So Jesus commanded all kinds of stuff. But there's one commandment that Jesus never gave. And that's amazing when you think of how incredibly important Sabbath was for the Jewish people. And yet Jesus is quiet on the subject. Uh, also, New Testament Scripture Renders the Sabbath obsolete. Just look at a, a few of the texts. Galatians 4, 8 through 11. He says, Paul says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to, those who, by na- who, to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable principles? And he's going to tell us what those are. Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You're observing special days. And months and seasons and years, I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. Romans 14, this great, great text, and I'll give you the context here. Begin verse 1. It says, accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. He's going to tell us what the disputable matters are. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, 
and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. One, here's our Sabbath thing. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. There's no dogmatic rule on that. Colossians 2. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Paul says these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Now, you might say, well, hang on. Are you telling me that the fourth commandment is obsolete? Let me let you know that there are several. This is, this is not a new thing. There's a lot of precedent for this. For example, temple worship that incorporated many commands in the Old Testament. It was, it was incredibly significant. I don't think we can, we can overemphasize how important temple worship was for the Jewish person. The covenant was in the Ark of the Covenant, right? Which was in the holy place, which was in the temple. There was no more holy place on earth than the temple. It, it, it signified God's presence. It was the most holy place in the Jewish mind on earth. And yet, Paul never says, go worship in the temple. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, the temple will be destroyed. Today, in God's economy, there are no more holy places, just holy people. You've got the promised land, holy land, right? This is what God promised Abraham in, in Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17, Genesis 21. God comes to his son Isaac and reminds him about the, the holy land. God comes to his son Jacob, reminds him about the holy land. This is what got Moses to leave the desert and go back to Egypt to get the people out. The promise of the holy land. This is what drove Joshua into it. I believe this is why David could stand up to Goliath. Was it just stupid youth idealism? What made him think he could take this giant on? God had promised that the land that the giant was standing on was God's land, was the Israelites' land. It was our land. It didn't belong to this guy. The, 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 the promise of the Holy Land is what the prophets would use to encourage the exiles throughout the Old Testament. But after the death and resurrection of Jesus, it's a new day. It, it, the, the Holy Land is now expanded to the world. There is no longer any holy real estate, just holy people. Kosher foods, holy foods in the Old Testament. Lots of laws regarding the dietary system. Clean and unclean foods. And this, there might be some health stuff associated with this, but God didn't say anything about that. Regarding the clean and unclean foods, it was a sign to the Israelites and to the, the, the world, the nations around them, that they were different, that they worshipped God. But Jesus, when he's on earth, he declares all foods clean. He just wipes out an awful lot of laws in the Old Testament with one statement. Today, in God's economy, there are no longer any, any holy foods. There's no longer any holy real estate. There's no longer any holy places. Just holy people. No longer any holy days either. Now, again, a question we, we ask our, ourselves, and it's, this is where it gets kind of controversial, um, Okay, I'm not supposed to worship on Saturday. That's not our Sabbath. But isn't Sunday the Christian Sabbath? There are folk who, who hold to that. When I was at my school in the South, I went through uh, college, finished up college there, and I was going on to their seminary. And but because of the dollars that were involved, it was dependent on myself getting an RA appointment and a resident assistant appointment. I'd be in charge of this dorm, and I made it pretty far in the in the in the interview. But one of my last interviews, I was talking to the 
the, the, the chair of the Department of Theology, and I must have said something to trip his trigger. Keep in mind, my, one of my jobs would be to enforce the Sabbatarian rules. But uh, he said, well, Mr. Harris, don't you believe that Sunday is the Christian Sabbath? And with one word, I flushed my, my seminary education at that place. I said, oh, no, not that question. How do you get around that one? No, I don't. I don't. And now there's, there's, let me share with you why, why I, I don't believe Scripture teaches that. Again, I know we're dealing with some semantics on some level here, so, so work with me. Early church, all the believers, right at the very beginning, were all Jewish, or else they were proselytes, they were in Judaism. And so no doubt they would go to the synagogue on Saturday. It had been settled in intertestamental times, and so they went there to worship. But they probably weren't getting a whole lot of, of uh, accolades when they started telling the people that Jesus fulfilled these things. It probably, probably wasn't coming across real good to uh, their, their teachers there. And so according to Scripture, the New Testament church began to meet on the first day of the week, on, on Sunday. In Acts chapter 20, verse 7, it says, On the first day of the week... We came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking to midnight. We won't discuss Paul's length of his, his uh, sermons, but uh, I'm not as long-winded as you might have thought. Um, by the way, there's no command to worship that first day of the week. It's just what the church started doing. First Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. He said, Now about the collection of God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week... Each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. We find that the early church called that day the Lord's Day. And uh, it seems, though we're not sure, that it was because Christ rose on that day. Every single week they had an Easter. It wasn't a once a year thing. They celebrated Christ's resurrection weekly. Um, early, first, earliest document we have Christian document other than the New Testament was was a document called the Didache, written in 100 AD. I mean, the Apostle John is still alive at this point, and there are churches springing up, and the elders were going, "Well, how do we run church?" It's kind of a new thing. We're not sure exactly how to do it, and so the Didache was written to teach these guys. It's a little small thing, but written to teach them how to operate church. And this is what it says: Didache. It says, "On the Lord's day, come together, break bread, and hold Eucharist." Uh, Ignatius in 110, he said this. He said, they who walked in ancient customs have come to a new hope, no longer living for the Sabbath, but the Lord's day. Justin Martyr in 170, he said, on the day called the day of the sun, all who live in cities or in the country gather together to one place. Athanasius in 360 says this. He says, we keep no Sabbath day. We keep the Lord's day as a memorial of the beginning of the second New creation. These guys did not get the two mixed up. The, the, the Sabbath, as far as the early, early church, was fulfilled in Christ. Look at Hebrews 4, 1 through 11, if you want to do more study on that. Hebrews 4, 1 through 11. It's fulfilled. It's done. It's a whole new thing. The Lord's day. Uh, William Barclay, Scottish New Testament scholar, says this. He says, there is no doubt at all that from the early 2nd century onwards, that's 100 A.D., and perhaps even earlier, the Lord's day has completely displaced the Sabbath and that the two are never confused and are even contrasted with each other. The early, early church did not, did not think 
that, that the Lord's Day was the Christian Sabbath. The Sabbath was done. It was over with. It was, it was finished. It was a new thing. And they lived that way. The church lived that way for a thousand years. It wasn't until 1250 that Thomas Aquinas, if you heard of Thomas Aquinas, Thomas was the poster child for the church. He was an incredibly intelligent man. He was the answer man. Uh, Thomas was the go-to guy for for, uh, the popes. Uh, Thomas was a godly guy. He was speaking one time to one of the popes, and the pope was showing him the riches of the Roman church and said, Thomas, never again can the church say, silver and gold have I none. And Thomas said, yes, that's true. And Never again can we say in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Uh, Thomas had a heart for the Lord. But in 1250, Thomas came out with this. He said, the Sabbath is changed into the Lord's day. Went on to call the Sabbath equivalent uh, to the, the Lord's day. And so all the priests and all the Bible scholars began to do what the rabbis had done uh, much earlier. They, they said, well, if the, 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 the Lord's Day is the Sabbath, then the Sabbath, you can't do work. Let's figure out what work is. And so they started coming up with their long list of things you could and could not do as well. Enter Martin Luther and John Calvin, the reformers. And they saw what was happening. They said, no, 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 no. Remember one of the cries of the Reformation is sola scriptura. And they said, we got to go back to what the Bible says. And they looked through the Bible and they couldn't find that in there. And so the Helvetic Confession, this is going to be the the perspective of the Reformers, Martin Luther and Calvin and Zwingli. This is what it says. Yet herein we give no place to the Jewish observance of the day or to any superstitions. For we do not count one day to be holier than another, nor think that mere rest itself is acceptable to God. Besides, we do celebrate and keep the Lord's day and not the Jewish Sabbath. And that with the free observance. That free observance means there are no rules. However you want to observe it, according to Scripture, that's, that's okay. The only thing God said is, is no work. So as New Testament believers... Is there a Sabbath requirement for a Saturday or Sunday? Not according to Scripture, no. But as New Testament believers, is there a Sabbath principle? Absolutely. You betcha. Second Timothy 3.16 lets us know that all of Scripture, not just parts of it, all of it are applicable for us. And here's the principle that I think you get out of that. Time spent equals heart bent. Time spent equals heart bent. That runs on two, two rails. First rail is, is the way you spend your time reflects what you worship. Right? You with me? Now, worshiping is just elevating something to God's status or you know, above God. Uh, You've got to love the calendar because the calendar doesn't take into account good intentions. And I meant to. And I really wanted to do it. Calendar, calendar just tells it the way it is. You've got to love the calendar. If you want to know what you worship... Look at your calendar. Where's your time? Time spent is going to reflect what you worship. Getting ahead, kids, hobbies. What is it you worship? Time spent equals heart bent. That second rail is this, that what you give your time to, the calendar, also will determine, and this is, this is huge for us, determine what you worship. Jesus said in Matthew 6 that where your heart is, there your, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I know the context is talking about money there. But our, one of our greatest treasures is our time. 
And you've experienced this where you've really poured your time into something and you know as you do what happens, you love it more and more and more. Where we give our time will determine what we worship as well. Now, now, keep it in mind where these guys were who got this command initially. They had just been in slavery for 430 years where they didn't work, you know, uh, eight to five. They didn't work 12 hour shifts, three on, four off. These guys worked every single day, sun up to sundown, sun up to sun, seven days a week, 365 days a year, our calendar on. And their daddy did that. Their granddaddy did that. Their great grand. This is just the way you do life. You work all the time. God pulls them out of that. He says, God gets kind of wild. God says, whoa, 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 hang on. I think you're working too hard. I want you to take a day off. And, and you know, this was way outside their, their thinking. This is a new paradigm. It's like, whoa, whoa, take a day off. What are we supposed to do with it? I don't care. I'm just telling you, don't work. You would think that these guys would go, oh. <laughs> that's incredible that's amazing you gotta love a god who out of his commandments number four before don't kill anybody before don't go after anyone else's spells don't even think about it he says take a day off you think this would be incredible yes but you know as well as i do that they got hung up on this and initially we say i can't believe they got hung up on that but when we look at ourselves we get hung up on this one all the time don't we uh, the the sabbath Principle, I think, is given for a couple of reasons. One is so that they will not uh, bring about um, or it was given to protect from the idolatry of work. It was given to protect from the idolatry of work. God knew that he was bringing these guys out of Egypt where they worked sun up to sundown and they had no motivation to work. The only motivation they had was not to feel the tip of the whip. And other than that, this. That they, had, they weren't going to get ahead. They were slaves. You know, it didn't matter how hard they worked. That's just the way it was. But he knew that freedom was going to give these guys temptations that they had never experienced before. And that Canaan had all kinds of idols just waiting for them to discover. And when these guys got work in the land, they'd start thinking, you know what? If I work a little bit longer, I can get ahead. If I, take, if I work all my days, I can get further ahead. I can acquire more stuff. I can get that promotion. I can beat up my competition if I just work a little bit harder. God knows there were all kinds of, of idols waiting for these the guys to discover. He, he knew that these guys were apt to become workaholics and economaniacs, uh, just like us. And he said, listen to me. When you go into the new land, it's imperative. It is imperative that I am part of your calendar you're going to have so many things that push against you. And you're going to have so many projects and homework and deadlines and deals and, and endless opportunities for entertainment that I am just going to be pushed out of your calendar. But I'm telling you that if you let that happen, you're going to lose. And so, so God wanted his people to know that they're not first and foremost farmers or engineers or machinists or lawyers or doctors or school teachers. They are first and foremost his children or pastors. They are first and foremost his children. And don't get the two mixed up. Don't get, I'm a this, an engineer, and oh, by the way, I'm a Christian too. No, 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 no. I'm a child of God first. Everything else is secondary. Therefore, make sure that the schedule reflects what's true. Spend time with me. Now, it's interesting. When you look at the Deuteronomy passage, and you look at the other reasoning for uh, 
the Sabbath principle. One of them is physical rest. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, almost, it's almost verbatim, but there's a, a little shift here. And that's what it says. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter nor your manservant or maidservant nor your ox, your donkey or any of your animals, nor the alien within your gates. And here's the shift. So that your manservant and maidservant may rest as you do. God is concerned for the physical rest. He knows how he wired us and he knows going full blast all the time. You're not going to make it. You're just going to you do dumb things. Don't you do crazy things, foolish things when you're just fatigued, when you're just shot, when you're just gone and gone and gone. We do some dumb things. And God says, I don't want you going there. You need to take time to physically rest. Let me ask you, how you doing with number four? And another reason still in Deuteronomy, uh, he says uh, for, for the Sabbath, Jesus says, remember, look at verse 15. That you were slaves. Remember the remember. Remember, remember, remember. Remember that. It's not just consciousness of it, right? Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. And that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. One of the reasons that we're to observe the Sabbath principle is for spiritual rest. We're to be conscious of, we're to act on the fact that we are redeemed people. God is saying, listen, listen, listen. It is not about you providing for yourself. If I'm not mistaken, you didn't work any of the ten plagues. You didn't open up the sea and you didn't drown Pharaoh's army. And you didn't provide for yourself some manna and water. Who did that? Oh, I did that. That's right. This is about me providing for you, not yourself. Don't forget that. And the spiritual rest, this is, comes right out of Matthew, I believe, 11, 28, and 30. Or Matthew, Jesus has got the mindset later on. It says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Soul rest. Are you spiritually fatigued? Are you feeling like God's just far away and spiritually you're just empty and you would love some soul rest? That's God's plan. That's Jesus' plan. And the way to get there is to be quiet and still with him. Build him into the calendar. That's what he's, that's what he's saying. That's what he's about. You know, I was, uh, watched a movie, oh my goodness, a long, long time ago. Uh, younger folk in here might be going, what, what was the movie? Bridge Over the River Kwai. Yes, it's a classic. And it, it, maybe you've heard the... That's part of that movie. Um, what happens is it's, it's, a, it's a war movie, World War II thing, and, and the Allies are in a uh, uh, Japanese uh, well, prisoner of war camp in Thailand, I believe, and they are being uh, uh, conscripted to build a bridge. Uh, over the River Kwai, that's where the movie's title comes from, and they're to build the bridge so the Japanese can bring their, their supplies in and win the war. And uh, at first, the, the uh, allies are saying, well, it's against the Geneva Convention and we're not going to build anything. Uh, but then one guy, the, the commander, he's a, he's a British or Australian guy, uh, he, he gets this idea that, I mean, this is a challenge to him. He's like, 
All right, we'll build a bridge. We'll show you how to build bridges. We'll show you the right way to build bridges. And so he takes this on. And the other, the other guys who are working for this are saying, hey, cut it out. Come on, let's build this thing in a poor way. So when the train comes over, it just blows up. And the commander won't have any of it. He says, no, no, we're going to build a good one. And so he's, he's putting his own guys in, in uh, not, not jail. They're already in prison camp, right? But, but you know, they stick them in one of those, those hot boxes. And, and he, is, he is persecuting his own people who are trying to sabotage the bridge. He gets so wrapped up in his work. At the end of the movie, this is a spoiler if you haven't seen this, uh, the, the allies are being parachuted in and they're, getting, they're trying to blow this bridge up. And he's shooting at these guys, his own guys. And then he realizes, what's he doing? He got so caught up with his work, with his task, with his project that he forgot what he was doing. He was working for the enemy. So in the end, he falls on the detonator and blows up the bridge. And, you know, everyone's happily ever after, except, except the guys on the train, right, that they're coming across. Here's the issue for us. Are you so caught up with work? You're getting it done. And, you know, you're doing a good job. You're doing a good job. You, you, you are. You should do a good job as unto the Lord. But you get so caught up with it. You're working so hard at it that you forget why you're here. And number four, it's no part of your life. How are you doing with number four? You know, when I was uh, younger, not a whole lot younger, just, just multiple years back, my kids, when they were real little, I'd come home from church. I'd been in church for forever. And I'd come, come, come home and I'd be tired and the office would have some problems going on and I would have the junk mail in my hands and the house would be a mess and the dog. And it's like, oh. And one of my kids would come running to me, uh, Sammy, with her picture that she made for me. And, you know, I didn't have time to mess with this or mess with her. The picture was like, oh, yeah, that's, that's fine. Thank you. Oh, yes, good, good job. Wonderful. Uh, and I just keep going on. Now she's little, but she wasn't stupid. What did I communicate to her? I had no time for her. I, I, I told her the picture was good. Come on, help me out here. It was insincere. I didn't care, really. I didn't have time to bother with her. She was a nuisance. She was in my way. But what if when I came home and she came up to me with her picture, what if I would have thrown the briefcase and the junk mail on the floor and I got on my knees and said, let me see that picture. And I looked at it and I looked at the two people that she she she'd drawn herself and myself and I looked at the expressions on the face and I said, what are these guys thinking? Why are, they, why are they smiling here? And I realized that she was thinking about me all day when I wasn't thinking about her. And I'm looking at the picture and I'm noticing, man, she's, she's getting much better. This is pretty good. And she's coloring within the lines. And, and then I was to praise her. Honey, you're doing pretty good. This looks excellent. I like the way you did that, son. Great job. Sometimes, and this is my fear for me, this is my fear for y'all, we come to church and we've had a rough week and we've been working hard. We've been moving hard, but we've had zero time to rest and reflect and to be still before him and have God on our calendar. So we think we're going to fulfill the Sabbath thing by coming in here for an hour. And we come in, we got our junk mail of sorts in our mind. It's just rolling and we go, OK, y'all praise some songs. OK, praise, 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 praise. All right. Wonderful. And we leave. And what's God saying? It's God saying, oh, I'm so glad you came and praised me today. Now, what have we communicated to him? We don't have time for him. It's just part of the, the, the schedule, but nothing more. It's not part of my, my consciousness. I have no, no time to stop and reflect. You know, the fact that God loves you and I so much. I mean, it should be the other way around, shouldn't it? Shouldn't we be pleading, God, please spend time with me. But God's saying that to us, please. 
Would you be still and quiet and have me a part of your calendar? It's the only way you're going to keep your head straight. It's the only way you're going to keep your values straight. It's the only way you're going to find the strength and power to live the way you're supposed to in the new land, the land I am sending you. So let me ask you, how are you doing with number four? I'm going to pray, and then Shelly's going to come up and sing. And as she sings, uh, listen to the words and do your own business with the Lord. God, uh, I am grateful that you come to the likes of us and you say, come, let us reason together. God, that you're not ashamed to call me your child. And I pray for me, Lord, and I pray for my brothers and sisters here. That even uh, this week and even right now, you'd work in our hearts. Calling us back to you. In the name of Jesus.